You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Episode number 58 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band In Calico. In Calico was formed in 2012 in Indianapolis, Indiana. It is the project of Jason Wayne Thomason, who was an original member of the Ataris. Their album Ghosts to Show You was recently re-released by Radio Cake Records. Their new single Ego of the Carpenter drops on June 19th, 2019, which is today. It is also the day that you can catch them playing a gig with Jason and my old band, the Ataris, at the Hi-Fi in Indianapolis, Indiana. Now here it is, their new single, Ego of the Carpenter. Yeah. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, that one time on tour. Um, this is Josh from Paper Arms here in Australia. Uh, we just want to send a shout out to any Australian listeners that you should come see us soon um, on a little reunion tour we're doing with our friends from Strike Anywhere from the States. Um, Starts on June 25th in Southport, Queensland, and it goes to Brisbane, Newcastle, Sydney, Canberra, Adelaide, Belgrave, and wraps up on July the 6th in Melbourne. So uh, it's going to be awesome, and you should come and grab your tickets from arrestrecordsaustralia.austix.com.au. See you there. This is Tom from MXPX, and you're listening to That One Time On Tour. Run for the gold, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the bed tomorrow, we'll do it, we'll do it all again. Hey guys and girls out there in podcast land, what is going on? This is Chris Swinney. I am your host, as always, for that one time on tour. Uh, I think I might be coming down with a cold or something. My my voice sounds a little crazy, but it's actually, you know, it's kind of sexy, kind of low. <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of raspy. I am in the middle of my rock and roll summer camp, and uh, I've been a little bit exhausted. I've been in there working all day with the kids. So uh, hopefully I'm not getting sick. If I am, I just have to soldier through. So maybe you like my voice better this way. Maybe I'll try to keep it this way. I don't know. Maybe it sounds a little bit more like a radio guy. Like, hey, what's going on, everybody? I don't know. But uh, we are back with episode 58. Thank you guys so much for checking out last week's episode with Vinny from Less Than Jake. I had a wonderful time talking to Vinny, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. We charted on iTunes. It was really cool, and uh, yeah, it was awesome, so thank you so much for the support. This week on the show, I get to sit down with Mr. Tom Wisniski. Wisniski. I think I'm saying that right. I, you know, Tom from MXPX. <laughs> Tom, if you're listening, I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm a little delirious. I, I knew how to say your name earlier today. But uh, my last name's Swinney. I get it all the time, man. People say Sweeney or Swiney, so... So I'm in the club as well with a, with a last name that's kind of murder to spell and a murder to pronounce. So yeah, I get us to sit down with, with Tom from MXPX. It was a lot of fun. We talked about all kinds of really cool stuff. But before I get to that, I am going to do the housekeeping, man. We've got sponsors. We've got to take care of it. We've got to pay some bills. Uh, i got to tell you guys about artistflags.com. They are still on as a sponsor. Cody over there at Artist Flags is such a great guy. And they'll take care of anything that you need as far as scrims, backdrops, anything with your logo. If you have a band or a company, whatever, 
Hit them up over at artistflags.com or you can get them on any of the social media platforms at Artist Flags. Tell Cody that I sent you and he'll maybe he'll hook you up, man. You never know. But uh, yeah, so check out artistflags.com. I also need to tell you about Permanence Tattoo Gallery over in Anderson, Indiana. I know a lot of you guys aren't local, but uh, they've they've got some really cool stuff on their Instagram. So check out Permanence Tattoo Gallery. That's what it is on all the social media platforms. My buddy Jacob, he's a past guest of the show. He is the owner, and uh, he's a tattoo artist, and he does damn good work. He specializes in tr- like American traditional but there's people over there that do all different styles. So if you are local here in Indiana, you need to head on over to Anderson, Indiana, downtown Meridian Street, and head over to Permanence Tattoo Gallery and get your ink therapy, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna go soon and get some more ink off Jake. So thank you so much, Jacob, for being a sponsor. I love your tattoo shop. And uh you guys heard of the beginning, rockabilia.com. They're still on as a sponsor. Hit them up. They have a brand new designed website. It's much easier to navigate. You can get anything that you want, over 500,000 unique items. Use the promo code PCJabberJaw and get 10% off your entire order. So I believe that is it. I do want to give a shout out. They're not really a sponsor, but uh, the Cremo Company, C-R-E-M-O, they make like lotions and shampoos and everything. They sent me a big box of stuff, and it was awesome, man. It's got like cologne and and beard oil and all kinds of crazy stuff. So I want to give them a shout-out. Check them out. They're on all the social medias as well. And I think you can go to cremocompany.com. That's C-R-E-M-O. And, uh, yeah, they're not even a sponsor. They just sent me a bunch of stuff, and they're great people. And you should check it out because I've been using the shampoo, and it's – I don't have a lot of hair, but I have a I have a nice beard. I've been using all my beard and and the beard oil and everything. So check them out, crimocompany.com. That is all of the sponsors and all the shout outs. Now, I had a top five list all ready to go. And then I realized uh, I'm not trying to bring the the vibe down of the podcast, but uh this past Monday on the 17th, it was 14 years to the day that my dad passed away. And I've talked about my dad a lot on the podcast. I I talked about my dad with Matt, with Matt Penfield when he was on the show, and uh, you know I talked about him on the Ask Chris episode. And I bring him up quite a bit, and it's because my dad was a huge part of my life. And uh, every year when you know the anniversary comes up, he he passed away on Father's Day in 2005. So Father's Day for me, it's it's different now that I'm a dad. But I always think about my dad, and and I I think very fondly of my dad, and. Uh, one of my patrons, uh, he he wanted to hear some more stories about my dad. So uh, I'm going to tell a, a quick little funny story about my dad, and then we're going to get right into the episode because I'm not feeling too hot, and I need to, I need to get some some beauty sleep before I get up to to teach the kitties tomorrow. But um, so my dad was a really, I mean, in my eyes, he was my best friend. He, he loved music. He loved like crazy music, like Nail Bomb and like <laughs> Sepultura and stuff like that. For like you know an older guy, that was kind of crazy. And uh, he loved Pennywise and he loved No Effects and The Offspring. And he was just he was into all kinds of punk and metal stuff and especially like older stuff like you know Sabbath and Zeppelin, of course. But um, when I was like I think maybe fifteen, sixteen years old, I can't remember. But my dad took me to Ozfest. And uh, Slayer was on the main stage. And I, I've, it's no secret, I've talked about it on this podcast and some other podcasts I've been on. I'm not a huge Slayer fan. I respect them. I just, I need some melody in my music. 
And I just, I never got into them because I just thought it was, you know, I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of Slayer. I, I, I do respect them. And, you know, some of their songs I really get into, but for the majority, I don't. So I wasn't like stoked to see Slayer. But so, so we're back. I'm 15 or 16. My dad and I are at Ozfest and, uh, they had this like Ernie Ball tent or some, some tent from some company where bands from Ozfest were there signing glossy eight by tens of themselves or of the full band. And, uh, you could just go up and, you know, you could meet them and you didn't have to pay or anything. It was just, you go, it was a meet and greet kind of thing out in the open. And, uh, <laughs> Carrie King had just left his little tent. Carrie King, the singer of, of Slayer, not singer, the, the guitar player of Slayer and with, you know, the bald head and the beard and everything. And he was walking like away from the tent and his like a little assistant guy with him was carrying like a big stack of his glossy eight by tens. And, uh, my dad bumped into him by mistake somehow. And he like kind of said, Oh, I'm sorry, sir. He was very, very polite and nice to my father. And, um, he kind of looked at my dad and, and said, would you, would you like an autograph? I, mean, I think my dad was wearing maybe like a black Sabbath shirt, an Aussie shirt or something. So yeah, Carrie King's like, would, sir, would you like an autograph? And to show you how like much my dad did not give a shit, my dad stared him right in the face and he goes, an autograph? Who the fuck are you? <laughs> and the funniest thing, my dad was totally serious. He had no idea who he was because he wasn't a Slayer fan. And Carrie King, I just remember this look on his face. I'm like this, like, you know, I don't even know, like late forties, early fifties year old guy kind of telling him to fuck off. He like slouched down his shoulders and just looked all dejected and just kind of walked off. And then I went up to my dad and I'm like, dad, that's Carrie King from Slayer. And my dad's like, I don't give a shit. I'm here to see Ozzy. <laughs> so that kind of gives you an idea of how my dad was. And, uh, my, my childhood was really, really cool. And my dad never, never wanted me to, to not do music. He, he, he knew how interested I was in it and he always nurtured that. And, and that's what I try to do with this camp that I'm doing right now. I try to get these kids excited about music and feel about music the same way that I do. So, uh, I just want to say, you know, dad, if you're up there listening, I love you. I miss you. And I wish you were here and you could co-host the show with me. It'd be a lot of fun, but, uh, I've got a lot of stories about my dad and, you know, in the future, maybe I'll bring some more up, but I thought that was pretty cool. Not everybody's dad, you know, told Carrie King from Slayer to fuck off. So I hope you guys enjoyed that story. I am not going to do a top five list this week. I'm going to get right into my episode. I do want you guys to follow us on the social media platforms. It's at TOTOT podcast. If you want to be a sponsor like the band at the beginning and Calico, you can hit me up at TOTOT podcast at gmail.com. And I want to I want to give a shout out to the band in Calico that sponsored this episode. They're awesome. It's Jason, who was like the OG guitarist in the Ataris. Chris Rowe used to play bass. And like he started the Ataris with Chris back in Chris's bedroom, like, you know, early 90s, mid 90s in Anderson, Indiana. And then, you know, Chris came out to LA after he got signed. Jason decided to stay here in Indiana. He had another really cool band back in the day called Project Bottle Cap. My old band, Chronic Chaos, played with them quite a bit down in Indianapolis. But uh, the band that Jason is in now is in Calico, the band that sponsored this episode. And they are playing tonight with the Ataris at the Hi-Fi in Indianapolis. So make sure if you're in Indianapolis, you go check that out. 
And please, you know, check out their their record that's coming out. Check out the single that we played, Ego of the Carpenter. They're a great band. They deserve support. And he's going to join the illustrious group of people that I've actually had on this podcast. I'm going to make a shirt that says, I used to be in the Ataris. And we're going to make a million dollars just from people buying them that were in the band. So... (laughs) So I hope you guys enjoyed my story about my dad. I hope you guys are going to go check out In Calico in the Ataris tonight in Indianapolis at the Hi-Fi. But I am delirious already. I'm not feeling really great, as you can tell from my voice. And I'm going to get into my conversation with Tom from MXPX. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Tom from MXPX. How are you today, Tom? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing really, really well, man. What's the weather like out there in Washington? Dude, it's beautiful right now. Summer just hit. It's amazing. It's like mid-80s, sunny, not a cloud in the sky. It's great. Man, it was it was nice here. I'm in Indiana. I'm in the middle of the country. I'm sure you've been here before. But oh, uh, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it was really nice. But the last couple of days, it's been like the high of 50 and it's all cloudy and gross and rainy. So I don't know, man. <laughs> I'd Ew. rather be out there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's beautiful out here right now. Summers in Washington are summers in Washington are just crazy because everyone thinks it rains all the time here, but it's just perfect out here in the summers. Well, I tell you what, I, I live down in uh, around Pensacola, Florida, and I did a little bit of research one day because I was bored because I I've been out to Seattle many times, and everybody says how much it rains out there, but they actually get more rain there on the Gulf Coast than they do out where you guys are because it it rains like every day, you know. Yeah, when it rains in Florida too, it's like fist sized raindrops. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. well, we're going to get right into this. I know you're busy. I, I appreciate you rescheduling and getting back on the show. That, that means a lot to me, man. Thank you. No problem, man. So uh, I've been you know, going through Wikipedia, doing some research. I've always been a big MXPX fan, but you know, it says on Wikipedia, 12 studio albums, four EPs, four compilation albums, a live album, a VHS, a DVD, and 20 singles. That is quite a career, man. How does that make you feel? Oh, man. Uh I don't even know. It's it's like <laughs> to me, all those things when you go back and look at them, it's like looking at an old yearbook. You know, yeah. You're going back and you're checking out like how your hair was back in school and what you're wearing and stuff, right? So I mean, like when I go back and listen to them, I think sometimes like, oh, why did I play that? Or like, <laughs> like you know, after you play a song for you know a dozen years, you come up with new little parts to it, and you're like, oh, this this is way cooler. I should have thrown this on the record. Oh well. Yeah, that's what I, when with my old bands, like, you know, you're always stoked when it comes out, but then five, 10 years later, you're like, man, I wish you would have added a harmony there. We would have done this a little bit different, you know? Right, right. As much time as you take, get ready. There's, there's always some more you could have done, you know? Yeah, totally. So uh, I'm, I'm very interested. I ask all my guests this, you know, what was the first thing that got you into music and made you passionate about music and more specifically, like, you know, punk rock? Uh, so first thing that really got me into music was we had a family friend who played drums and he had a drum set in his bedroom and I came over one day and he just was like, Oh, come check it out. And he's maybe five years older than me and he just starts bashing away on the drums. And I was just like, this is the best thing I've ever seen or heard. Oh my God, this is amazing. Right. Yeah. And I, I was like, I have to do this. This looks so awesome. And I honestly, he could have been a horrible drummer, but it, it was perfect at the time, you know? Um, <laughs> What were some of the first bands that like you were interested in there at the beginning? Oh God. I mean, I grew up on like Michael Jackson and you know, like whatever was on MTV, honestly, like you two, just anything was on MTV. Uh, then when I started getting my own kind of thing going, uh, 
kind of maybe it was when the grunge thing happened. Uh, living up here in Bremerton, you know, we're right by Seattle and our junior high that we went to, uh, Yuri and I went there. Uh, you could stand up on uh, on top of a wall at the school and see downtown Seattle off in the distance, and we would we would stand there in the mornings and look at it and be like, "That's where it's all happening. It's right <laughs> over there." Yeah, like we have to get there someday, kind of thing, you know. And uh, so, I mean, like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, that really you know got us sparked up and all that. Did you get to Did you get to see any of those bands? Like, I mean, coming from that area, while that was going on, that's kind of a unique perspective. Were you? in that scene at all at a young age like getting to go to shows or was it all like overage shows like over 21 so yeah it was it was a very it was a very 21 over scene at that time so we got to finally go see mud honey and those bands when they were playing like you know the arena or whatever you know like some some huge place but uh it was still cool because it was like their hometown shows and they're all they're all sparked up to do it you know but uh yeah i saw mud honey back then saw Lollapalooza too up here in bremerton which had a Pearl Jam was the second band on like they were just <laughs> it was nuts and when they went on like I had never been to a huge show like that I'd been just like local shows at like community halls and all that and when they went on the entire crowd just surged forward and like I remember like my feet barely touching the ground for maybe like 50 yards and like just being crushed in with people and that feeling you, where you can't really breathe and when you yeah. do breathe it's like everyone else's breath you know and it's just, like that just like it was it was really it was Life changing was so fun though. A couple bands later, uh, uh, that day, Soundgarden came on and were just amazing. So, uh, were you in a lot of bands there at the beginning? Like, was a guitar your chosen instrument, or did you start out with something else? No, I started as a drummer. Actually, the first band I ever played guitar in was MXPX. Wow. So, yeah. Did you take formal lessons for guitar, or was that just something you got thrown into? Just something I kind of I I was one of the drummers around, and there wasn't a lot of drummers, so. Uh, all my friends played guitars and I was like, man, I should probably learn how to play since everyone else does, you know? And yeah. So I just started learning like from, like from Mike and from, uh, some of my friends from my other bands, they'd show me some things here and there and convinced my dad to buy me like a pawn shop, uh, like acoustic, you know, and just go for it. And it was just one of those things where when they needed a guitarist from XPX, I asked them, Oh, who are you going to get? And I named off a bunch of our friends, you know, in town who play guitar and they're like, well, you got a guitar. What do you think? I'm like, yeah, I'll try. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so you joined, you joined in 94. Like they'd, they'd already released their, their Poconaccia CD. Is that correct? Yeah. I joined uh, a little while after Poconaccia was out and we were uh, starting to practice up all the songs for teenage politics. Was a, was it kind of like a whirlwind? Like, I mean, they were already signed to tooth and nail. Like, did you know that this was something special or was it just something you were doing? Cause it sounded cool. Uh, you know, it was definitely Mike and you were my buds. So that was, that was the fun part about it. But, uh, yeah, they had a record out. So I was like, Oh cool. We get to go record a record. That'll be amazing. You know, like my bands that I'd been in had recorded a little bit of like, kind of like, you know, lesser professional studios up in Bremerton and, you know, it it just sounded okay. You know, but it being like, I knew with that one, we were going to get to go like make something that actually sounded real. Yeah. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, oh, I'm gonna get in this. I know it's gonna make it. I mean, yeah. We went on our first tour straight out of high school, and that was really cool. We all knew that was gonna happen most of our senior year. But uh, I kind of figured we'd go on a tour, maybe make a record, maybe do another tour, and just kind of be. Oh, that was fun. Cool. Now off to reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So what was uh, the, the early days of touring? I mean, we talk about touring a lot on this podcast. You know, I've been in many bands my whole life. I've slept on floors. I've used coffee water at the truck stop for ramen noodles. I've done it all. What was that <laughs> first tour like that you got to go on? Uh, so it was two days after we graduated high school. We graduated on Monday, shot a video for Wantad off of Poconacha on Tuesday, and then jumped in the van for two months on Wednesday. And we just, we, we had played around the Northwest, you know, like Vancouver and like, you know, heading towards Eastern Washington down to Portland, Oregon, but never like, you know, as far as we went. So we just threw everything in a van. We built a little bed in the back over our gear and, uh, we just drove down to California and disappeared for two months. And yeah, that, that tour almost broke us. I mean, we, you know, we were a bunch of kids who had never had to be around each other 24 seven. You know, we all got to go home at night and stuff. So we got on each other's nerves and, you know, just made a big, you know, it made us definitely uh, grow up a little bit. Well, I, I know that, you know, Tooth and Nail is pretty much a, I mean, they say like a, a label with morals, but it's, it's mostly Christian bands. I know you guys started out kind of in that realm. Was that first tour like doing a lot of churches and whatnot, or was it like actual like club shows? Oh, no, it was, it was like uh, church halls and like community halls, like VFW halls and stuff like that. I mean, we didn't start playing real clubs for the first couple tours. Was that was that a big difference, like a change for you? Because I know that I've been in bands before where we weren't completely, you know, under that moniker of being a Christian band, but we did churches growing up in the Midwest. That was kind of a place where the underground music was played. So was that a huge like shift for you when you guys stopped kind of doing that and went more the, you know, the more whatever you want to call it route, the like the club route? Uh, you know, the biggest the biggest thing that was a difference for us was that we were playing at places that were designed to have shows you know they were meant yeah. to have a show they had a, a decent pa and like monitors and things like that i mean you know i'm sure everyone who's ever played in a band can tell you you play at a community hall or a church hall it's just a big empty room you know yeah. that they they threw you in a corner with like a little pa for vocals and said ah i hope this works yeah so so that was that was the big thing that we thought was cool about playing clubs you're like oh wow like we can hear ourselves now this is cool you know like, <laughs> there's lights and stuff and like it, it kind of like is dark like during the day and so like you know it's all windows it's like, yeah, it's, we're just playing this living room today or whatever yeah i remember i remember back in the day when they put you like we played a couple churches my old band and they'd have like the big you know auditorium light like you know whatever you want to call it at the church and it was just so echoey and crazy you couldn't tell anything that was going on yeah and i mean i think the thing that you know gets kind of lost on maybe some people today is that like like you were saying, like all bands played at like church halls and community halls and stuff like that. So that's just where you did your local DIY shows. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't like the local club that every touring band played at that every band, like the, you know, now bands, they play their first show at like, you know, like El Corazon in Seattle or something. And that's rad. I mean, that's awesome for them, but I mean, it just, they're not going to be doing that very much longer. They're, they're, they're getting rid of it, aren't they? Uh, rumors, rumors, <laughs> rumors, rumors. Okay, because I've yeah. played there many times, man. I was, I was kind of bummed out about that. Yeah, it's that's they're talking about a couple places in Seattle maybe disappearing, which sucks. But yeah, yeah. So uh, I had a big question. You know, I've been a fan for a long time. The the you guys put out Teenage Politics next. You said you were you know rehearsing the songs for that. I love that record. But then the jump from Teenage Politics to Life in general just in production as well as you know songwriting and everything just it seemed like a massive evolution can you give me a little bit of that time period and like what you think jump started into that record 
Oh, I know exactly what jump started the uh, everything about it. I mean, it was the fact that we went on tour for the first time. We yeah. we used to play, you know, maybe a weekend or two a month, maybe one show, you know, like, uh, and we just didn't play a ton. And then all of a sudden, you go from that to playing every night for like a couple of years. And I mean, it just, it makes you, unless you really suck, it makes you a better band, you know? I mean, like, I think even if you're, if you're just horrible, it's still gonna, it's still gonna make you get better at what you do just because yeah. you're just, doing it like you know with such repetition but uh so i mean that's 100 percent where it came from and like the experiences of being on the road too and you know i'm sure that really inspired mike to write some more you know different themes and all that into the songs but uh yeah i mean just the fact that we were out on the road for so long and then uh couple that with uh we worked with our first producer who like really produced not just you know set mics in the room and hit record yeah uh Steve Hrack, um absolutely kicked our asses. I mean, he just beat us up for you know hours on a song. Yuri would sit there and bash on him, and I'd sit in the room with him next to him playing scratch guitar, and you know just for like move to Bremerton all day kind of thing. Like, <laughs> but I mean, it you know the, the proof is there at the end that it, it was worth it. You know. Well, yeah, I, I always, you know, when I worked with my first producer, I, I thought I was really good at guitar until I worked with a producer. And then I found out that I was not a fully like formed musician, you know? Right. So, uh, you know, those records did very, very well for Tooth and Nail. You guys were kind of like the flagship band for that label. After Life in General, you guys, you know, made the jump up to A&M. What was the thought process behind that? Was there a lot of, you know, like, were you guys a little scared to try to make that jump or was that something you always wanted to do was get to a major? Uh, it wasn't so much about always wanting to get to a major and it wasn't scary. It was, you know, I mean, I don't know if like, if I've, if I'm kind of like, you know, clinical about some of these, if I ever, I mean, I know exactly why we moved off to the nail. It was simply that when life in general came out, uh, like you said, we were like the flagship band of all that. And we were kind of like, helping the label grow and they were, they were growing with us, but, uh, it just, it was hard for them to get the records out there. Like yeah. there's, it was, people would be coming to us at shows like, man, we can't find your record. And we're like, well, thank God we have some here for you, you know? Yeah. And then it would get to the point where we were like trying to reorder some from the label and they're like, Oh, we're out right now. We're trying to print some more right now. And it just, the major label came with an established, uh, distribution system. Our records would be released properly overseas. We'd get, you know, records out in Australia and Europe and things like that. So it was, it wasn't, it wasn't about like, yeah, we'll be on a major, we're rock stars now. It was like, <laughs> yeah. it was like our records will get out. This is going to be amazing. Like, like no more, like, God, I hope people can find the record. Did, did you guys also feel like, I mean, you know, coming from that, that scene, that Christian music scene and being on tooth and nail, which at the time and still is, you know, a huge Christian, Christian label. Did you guys feel like you also wanted to kind of break out of that and try to get new listeners that weren't, you know, like you're not preaching to the choir, you know? No, I mean, honestly, the whole Christian band thing, we never were like, we are a Christian band. Yeah. Here's our, you know, come find Jesus at the MXPX show. It was like, you know, we played all these places and we played with some bands that were in that scene and Brandon from tooth and nail, like offered to put out a record and we're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Are you kidding? Like, yeah, this guy, this guy puts out records like pretty early. This is awesome. Uh, and then I think that's where we really kind of discovered that there was for me anyways, 
I discovered that's where, oh, there's such thing as a Christian music scene. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know this existed. Um, so it wasn't anything about getting out of that, or we always were just kind of, we always said it, even when we were on Tooth Nail, we would stir up, you know, little mini controversies with people by saying, we're not a Christian band. We're yeah. Christians in a band. But I mean, like, like how can a band be a Christian band? That's just weird. Like, yeah, I, it's, I always it's thought a collection this, of songs. Yeah, I always thought the same thing. And I mean, I'll tell you, the first time that I saw you guys was uh, with Blenderhead in Marion, Indiana, back in 1996. And that place that you guys played, I think it was like a bowling alley or something. It was like, they always had tooth and nail bands. Like I remember Morella's forest and all these different bands played there when they were on the road and everybody seemed super, super preachy and you guys weren't like that. And that's what I liked about it. Yeah. That was never us. Yeah. It wasn't like you're trying to witness to the crowd. Like you guys just played punk rock and kicked ass. Like it wasn't, I don't know. It just seemed a lot different, you know, as where we were from too. It's just like, it wasn't, that wasn't a thing at all. Like, like I said, we found out about that whole scene by ending up on tooth and nail. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, like, hey, this thing exists, and if we, you know, write about this and say this, it shows. We'll get into this, you know, label. And I, it, like I said, I found out it existed because we were on Tooth and Nail. You know, being in that scene though, with those people liking your band, did you ever get like a lot of blowback from those people because you weren't that way live? Oh, oh yeah, of course. I mean, like you know, people always want to project onto you what they think you should be. Yeah. You know, there's there's a ton of that. I mean, even in like you know. Even in like the, you know, the non-Christian scene, like there's, yeah. you know, people like, oh, you know, your stuff used to be heavier, like, you know, or like, you know, oh, you used to be faster. This is too pop now. People always want you to be what they want you to be instead of appreciating you are what you are, you know? Yeah, definitely, man. Okay, so your your debut on A&M was slowly going the way of the Buffalo I mean, in my opinion, classic, classic rock record. It was uh, certified gold. I mean, that's got to be a huge accomplishment. You know, so many bands go from an indie to a major and then they fail right out of the gate and you guys had a gold record out of the gate. That's got to be great. Like what was the, what was the process with recording that? I'm sure you guys, you know, even stepped your game up again from life in general, right? Uh, so the process for recording that, um, I mean, yeah, it was nice to go onto the label and, you know, be, you know, successful. That's, that's great. I mean, that's, you know, that's what you want to do. It, <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, no. It just it uh it helps you to keep doing what you love doing. You know, if if we were on the label and no one was really into it and we got dropped pretty quick, maybe we wouldn't have uh, gotten keep going on tour and make as many records. You know? Yeah, yeah. So the support of the fans all that kept us able to do what we did. So that's great. Um, as far as the recording, we didn't really trip out that much on it. But uh, see, Herbeck, who was the producer. Uh, he kind of admitted this a little later that like it was his first major label record and he wanted to make sure it was really, really like perfect and kick ass. And so we spent, we had like a month to track it and we spent the first two weeks just on drums. Wow. And like a couple days of that he was just cutting tape. I mean, like there's, there's sections of songs where he would like cut out slivers and we were like, well, he's, he's a pro, he knows what he's doing. But I mean, like it got to the point where the rest of it was everything else was tracked in two weeks and we were recording noon to 6am every day. Like, there was a day when uh, Kravak and I were walking home from the studio and uh, we recorded at Robert Lang in, uh, in North Seattle and it's up on a hill. And like at the bottom of the hill, there was like a duplex that uh, his friends owned that bands always rented out the downstairs to stay there while they recorded. So we're walking down the hill and we see the ferries going across up here. There's a bunch of ferries. We see the ferry going across and I, I turn and I go, man, 
the ferry runs really late. I didn't know that. And then we both kind of think about it for a sec. We're like, wait a minute. That's the ferry running early. That's people who have gone to bed and are getting up and going to work now. Like, oh my God, our lives. We're so backwards. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> That's crazy, man. I will say yeah. that the drum tones on that record are, are stellar. And I just, it's great when people bring that, the, the razor blade editing and like recording to tape up on the show because so many people nowadays, I don't even think they understand what it used to be like to record to tape, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, he would sit there and he, there was a song uh, for always where there was like a push in the middle of verse, like, dun, 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 right? He marked every single kick found the ones he felt best, measured them, and made them all that. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yeah. And, and you, we're talking like we're talking like tape running by 30 inches per second. Yeah. Uh and he's cutting out like, you know, an eighth of an inch sliver. And we're like, that can't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you really have to be on your game too as a guitarist. I mean, because with Pro Tools you can kind of do whatever you want, but with tape, you you really you're gonna go for the take, right? I mean, I know you comp stuff, but how were your guitar tracks during that that time? Yeah, I mean you definitely we would definitely roll through and you know, get a few times going through where I was really starting to lock in with Yuri and like get the feel of like, you know, how he was playing it and on and really lock in and then uh you just try to get as far as you can through it. I mean like We'd punch in, of course, but I mean, it was kind of thing where, like, if I messed up in like the first chorus or something, we'd be like, "Let's just go back. We, we yeah. can just we can get it better," you know. It make it makes everything sound and feel that much better too when it's all just kind of one, one real performance or as much of one real performance as you can get, you know. Do you guys being a three piece? I mean, you know, back then I know you guys have extra people now, but when you would record, would you go in and do like Mike's bass and Yuri's drums together first, like the rhythm section, and then build off of it, or would you just do the scratch tracks? Like how how did that go? So we would record. You know, we'd keep the drums and we'd have scratch bass, guitar, and vocals, and then uh, we'd go in and uh, depending on the record, uh, early stuff we would do bass first, but then uh, Kravak got us into doing guitar first yeah because he said basically you know the guitar's got a whole bunch of strings and all that right and you can pull every little one out and all that and you gotta double it and everything and so once we get that together and it sounds really tight and in tune if we end up getting to a part where something maybe pulled a little bit we can pull the bass in pretty easy with one string you know it's like yeah hey for this one little moment just tug it just a little bit mike and so we got to the point where we started doing that and it it can be good. It can be bad. And nowadays we, we kind of just gone to do whatever, like whoever's around we're like, Hey, well knock out some bass. Cool. Do yeah. some guitar too. Um, but I mean, uh, it can be cool. It can kind of pile things up on Mike at the end when he has to knock out the bass and then a whole bunch of vocals. But yeah. at, at that point we're doing a bunch of guitar overdubs too. Like it just, it just depends. Yeah. We usually try to get ahead a little bit and have a couple songs with some rhythm guitars and bass on it then get him singing early enough on in the process. So he doesn't have to, the entire record in like a weekend and just and, blow his voice out and yuri's using a click track for the most part right uh yeah okay yeah, now now <laughs> were there any well, originally the old days now i mean yeah. like uh poking ash teenage politics stuff like that i don't think we used to click until life in general okay yeah, I mean, I can. I think now that I'm thinking back, it's been a while since I've listened to those first two records, but I can, I tend to remember there was some, you know, push and pulls as far as the tempos go. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's, everybody has that, you know, like you said, it's like a yearbook when you listen to that stuff. And it's not like anything that's like egregiously like, oh my God, what did you do, Yuri? But, you know, like, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just real, you know? 
does does it ever like when you guys try to make set lists is it ever crazy because there are so many you know fans like i told you i saw you guys in 1996 so people that were like back then they probably want to hear stuff off teenage politics they want to hear poking at you but you guys have so many records what's the process like for making a set list uh you know it's mainly just ones that we want to play and you know some ones that we know people want to hear really when it gets down to it i mean we we have so many to pick from and we have some that work really well live too that we throw in because we know it's gonna go over really well live but i mean it's really it's really just kind of us sitting in practice and going like hey remember this song and like if everyone remembers it we go through it like oh yeah cool do you have like a deep cut that you really like to play live uh we throw in some deep cuts every once in a while like uh mike or chris or i or maybe even yuri will throw throw out a song like hey you remember blah blah blah. like a couple years ago we threw out uh for always that we hadn't played for a long time to go back to that song and that one just goes over really well it's kind of a it's kind of like a feel change like it's not like you know just really bashing full speed ahead yeah uh so it's it's a fun one to throw into the set too and uh you know slow down for a sec same same kind of vibe with that uh we threw in wrecking hotel rooms recently which I thought went over really well. I always like that song. It's yeah, a fun one. That's a good song, man. So yeah. uh, I'm not going to keep going on like a timeline of your life. I have some other questions, but I was uh, sure. I was interested in Ever Passing Moment, which was the next record. You guys, you know, you had Responsibility was a big radio hit. You guys peaked at number 24. I was interested, though, you guys got to support Offspring in Cypress Hill. What was that like? Uh, that was an interesting tour because it was right after Offspring had American out and it was huge, like, 10 million selling record and yeah. like, you know, they're selling out every arena in town, everywhere they went, you know, and then the next one. So that was what we kind of thought it was going to be. And it just, it was still arenas, but they were like half full and it was still fun. Uh, you know, like hanging out, those guys kind of ran their own thing. We kind of ended up hanging out a lot on our own because Cypress Hill kind of ran their own thing too. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was, it was kind of a weird tour in that respect where we just kind of, we hung out by ourselves most of the time. But it was still it was still fun shows. Like people were still amped up to go see the shows and all that. Were you guys playing like like the you know average like open like half hour forty five minutes or or was it a longer set? Yeah, I think we might have been playing a half hour like kind of opening slot thing. So no crazy stories from that tour. It was mostly just pretty pretty tame because everybody stayed to themselves. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was a big arena tour, and you're playing like all these like you know hockey rinks and all that every night, and the stage is huge and lights are amazing and all that and the pa is just incredible and sounds great every night for you up on stage but uh yeah i mean it was just it was those kind of shows too especially when you're not the the focal point like the headliner yeah. or anything like that they can be a little rough sometimes because people just kind of don't care yeah yeah well and, but, uh, and you've got offspring fans and, and cyber Hill fans and maybe they're not they're not you know wanting to check out mxpx you know they're just there for one reason only right Right. And going on first, you know, you, you're playing when people are still coming in sometimes. So those kind of tours can be rough, but the, the thing is you do those hopefully to get out in front of new people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've always, when I talk to people about being on tour, they ask me good stories. The stories that I have that are awesome are always the ones where you're in the van and you're playing the weird shows. It's not the ones where you're playing the arenas, right? Yeah. I mean, the big arenas and festivals are all fun and all that. They're great. I mean, you know, like we played, Punk Spring, or no, sorry, Summer Sonic in Japan uh, in 2001. And it was in a baseball stadium. We played midday and we thought it'd be, 
might be kind of weird, not a lot of people there, but it was it was packed all the way to the the rafters with people, and they were going nuts all the way up in the and the like the upper deck. It was crazy. That's awesome. That's man. that's one of those ones that you remember. You're just like, dang, that's like what Guns N' Roses felt like every night, you know? <laughs> yeah. So in, in September 2006, this is something I saw that was really cool. I've actually, you know, I think I saw Mike say something about this on Facebook a long time ago. But uh, the the song you guys wrote, "Move to Bremerton," which is kind of you know your your love song to your hometown. The city, the city used that in some kind of campaign for tourism or whatever, and they they gave you the key to the city. That's got to be kind of up there on your accolades, right? Yeah, that that was actually funny because they hit us up to use Mood Robinson for their they're doing like a like a downtown revitalization campaign, and they want to use it. And we're like, yeah, of course, whatever. We love Robinson. They're like, we want you to play this show as part of the thing. We're like, yeah, no problem. That that works. It's, we'll put it on the end of our tour and. We'll come home and do it. And they're like, is there anything else you want? And uh, our manager was on the phone with them. And he literally was in a room with us. like, hey, do you guys, uh, you know, they want to know if you want anything else. And just me being a smart ass said, yeah, we want the key to the city. <laughs> and then he told them that. They said, okay, no problem. And we we're like, I was like, wait, wait really? Okay. <laughs> well, it's funny. You, you always see that stuff like in movies and on TV. Like, is it an actual key, like, like trophy? Like, does it actually get you like a free coffee somewhere? Like, do you get anything with it? It gets you absolutely nothing, and it's a little gold key and some lucite. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it's just it's just a ceremonial thing, you know. I'm, I bet your your folks are probably pretty pretty proud of you guys, right? Oh yeah, they they thought it was pretty cool too. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, man. There's not a lot of bands out there that have got the keys to their hometown because they wrote a song about their hometown. That's pretty unique, right? Right. <laughs> I remember when uh when Newfound Glory got the key to their hometown, they were talking to us about it. I'm like, oh yeah, welcome to the club. <laughs> welcome to the club, man. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, after that, you guys ended up back on Tooth and Nail for Secret Weapon. Uh, how did that come about? Did you guys with uh, Did you guys you know get dropped off the major, or was it kind of like a, an amicable split? So yeah, we got we got dropped off the major because oh, I missed it. you guys were on side one dummy at first too. After that, I felt I saw that. Side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So so A and M, we'd put out three records with them, and when we signed with A and M. We had gone around and met with a bunch of major labels, and they were the one we felt the best about because it was kind of like a boutique. It felt like an independent label that just had a whole bunch of money because they had the police, you know. Yeah. Um, but they just—they were the one that just felt the best, you know. Like the guy who signed us was super cool, and like he had toured with bands before, and he he had signed face to face, and we really liked him, and he just he kind of had our back, you know. He got us. But then maybe about six months after Buffalo came out, the label got bought and folded into interscope and so we got dropped on interscope for uh ever passing moment and before everything after and we really didn't have like a champion there that really like believed in us and yeah. thought like you know like we we're you're we just like a real cool band to have around so we just kind of were a thing like it was someone's job to go maintain so once we were to the point where they had option records uh they just were like oh no we're good we were actually real happy about that we're like oh we got the letter from them we're like oh thank you that's awesome so we went out and we talked to our buddy Joe Sib, who runs Side One Dummy, and it was like a no-brainer. Like, yeah, what we'll a record with him. That's fucking, that's rad. That's great. And you know, Panic was awesome, and you know, we went around and toured a bunch on that, and he did a great job with like helping with market that to like radio and you know tours and all that. And then you know, we were just on kind of like a one record deal thing at that point. Like we could do whatever we wanted. So the next record, it was time to go. And Brandon from Tooth and I actually reached out and was like, hey. I want to, I want you guys back. Like, you know, we've had some bad stuff in the past, but you know, you've always been like my favorite band and I want you guys back. So 
he made us a deal. It was just like, yeah, we have to go take this. And it's, it's a good story to like, you know, like reconciliation and all that. It's kind of like a homecoming. It's kind of cool. Exactly. And then we went back and we recorded with Aaron Sprinkle on that one who did Poconacho. So it was another full circle. Kind of, was, there was a whole lot of full circle kind of like homecoming vibe to that, which was pretty rad. And we had done uh, a couple songs for Brandon on Tooth and Ale with Aaron uh, for the 10 years in running uh, compilation album they did. And uh, it just was one of those things where it's like, yeah, this feels right, you know? So uh, I was going to say, Joe Sib, uh, he's a buddy of mine too. Did you see that he's his comedy now? He just did like the Metallica tour with Jim Brewer. Yeah, he's he's doing great. It's awesome. We had him, we had him actually open one of our shows in LA. He went out and did like 15 minutes. And I mean, I already knew. I mean, the guy's hilarious. Like yeah. just being on tour with him, he tells great stories and it's just awesome. So when I heard he was doing stand up, I was like, that makes total sense. Yeah, he, he's awesome. I'm trying to get him on the podcast right now, but plus I'm a huge Metallica fan, so it's, it's oh nice. I want yeah. to hear all about it. I, I've heard some of his comedies, like you know, you know what it's like being on the road with Metallica. He's like, you don't meet them. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that's bullshit. I think he met him, but uh, he did. Okay, so uh, uh, the Left Coast Punk EP that came out on your own label, which is Rock City Recordings. Was that just a uh, you know that was in 2009? Did you guys just decide you know with the climate of the industry, it's time to just do something on our own? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just one of those things where it was like, hey, we got our own studio. We can make stuff sound pretty good. Let's just do it on our own. Everything everything was kind of going that way. A lot of people were doing it. And it was just, it was easier just to be like, we're just going to run the whole thing ourselves. I mean, you, you have more control that way. You make more money that way. It just seems like, you know, being a band, as long as you guys were working with all these labels, I'm sure you picked up enough of the business side of it that it wasn't, I mean, I'm sure it was a lot of work, but it was probably fairly simple to figure out how things happen right yeah i mean it's 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 been demystified the whole uh the whole record business and uh if anything it's been reinvented and now there's a whole new process that people have learned and have made up that uh just it's just you know changing changing the widths of change through uh the music business just kind of blew and everything got really shaken up when everything went digital. And I think the dust has kind of started to settle a little bit and people have found a new way to do things that make sense for everyone involved bands too. And, uh, and fans, you know, just makes sense for everyone. Yeah. So in 2009, I know that you kind of stepped away from, you know, let you did less touring. Mike did the MXPX all stars. I remember, uh, Chris from the Ataris, the band that I was in, he went and did some stuff overseas with, with the MXPX all stars. Did you just, uh, were you burnt out or you just felt like it was time to try something different? What, what led you to that decision? No, that whole MX6 All-Stars thing was we had a tour booked and uh, it was going to happen. But um, Yuri and I had gotten real jobs and we weren't really sure when we were going to start because it was kind of thing where like they give you a job offer and we're not really sure we're going to bring in kind of thing. Yeah. But we ended up getting brought in right in the middle of when this Japan tour is booked because we were still just doing the band. I was like, hey, we, we want to book this tour for Japan, but you told us you're getting these jobs. What's going on? And I was like, I don't know when we're starting. Just book it. You know, and it's been months since they said come in, so I'm sure it'll be fine. And then, of course, you know, as soon as we book it, and then it goes to, oh, guess what? Come in. You're starting work. And I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's why Mike did that. And we kind of we kind of had to leave him in a lurch a little bit, unfortunately. But it was like, you know, this is, the, this is a new thing we're trying over here with a real job and all that. So we got to kind of give it a go. So it made it to where we couldn't tour, you know, 10 months out of the year anymore like we used to. But uh, 
I still always did like, you know, a couple shows a year here and there with Mike. And it, it got to the point too, where Yuri was kind of like really busy with work and family. And he was like, Hey, you know, I just really need to take a break from it. So we had other people play drums for a while. And we ended up playing a, uh, a local show for like maybe our 21st anniversary or something like that. And Yuri hit up Mike and was like, Hey, uh, you know, if it's cool, I'd like to come to the show. Yeah, can you put me on the list? And Mike texts me, he's like, dude, Yuri just asked me to get on the list. How weird is this? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, that sucks. You know what? Yeah. Tell him tell him he can be on the list as long as he plays drums. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll let you on the list if you play. That's great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Mike texts him back. He's like, Hey, uh, why don't you just play? And so Yuri came and did it. And I think he realized how much he really missed it and it kind of read, you know, absence and hearts growing fonder and all that. I, th- I think it re sparked him a little bit for it to where he was like I'm going to make this work anyways. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you guys seem all the videos and the stuff that I see now. I mean, I want to, I want to talk about the new record here in a minute, but you guys seem revitalized and, and I've, I've seen even, you know, Yuri talking on different live videos and whatnot. And, and I, I had seen him in the past when all this was going on and he seemed kind of like the band maybe wasn't completely, like you said, like his thing, he had other stuff going on, but you guys all seem so together and like, you know, just committed and, and doing everything for the right reasons. Now it's, it's pretty refreshing to see. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I mean, the music business is the worst thing that a band can deal with of being a band. You know, like I always hated having to like, you know, talk business type things and yeah. figure out budgets and like, you know, it's so so not what I was like looking for when I started playing in a band with my friends, you know? So, uh, it's gotten to the point now where because of the, the shift in like priorities where we got jobs and all that, Mike was still doing it. Now Mike just kind of runs the business side and we just get to go play. And he's doing a great job of that with our, with our manager, Tom. And, uh, we just get to show up and play and, you know, be involved in fun things. And it, it made it to where, it was just, it was just all fun again. It, there was no, no downsides of it. It was just, it was all, it was all things in the plus column. There's no, it was all pros, no cons. Um, it was, it's also one of those things too, where I think we probably all missed each other. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And we got to go play with each other and it was just like, Hey, this, this feels right. You know, like I think Mike has made comments before, like, yeah, playing with the other guys was, was all right and all, but this is, this is like home kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen uh, I've seen MXPX, the All Stars. I've seen him, you know, the in different <laughs> configurations. But when it's you and Mike and Yuri, it's to me, it's MXPX, you know. Right, right. And people, people were obviously uh, really excited. Like when we came back, started playing more shows. I'd, I'd get you know messages on you know whatever Insta, Facebook, uh, you know MySpace things, like you know, hey, you're gonna be there. Oh my god, you're gonna be there. That's so rad, you know, like. So yeah, it's it was fun to get back and do it for real, and you know, getting to make the new record was just so awesome because it was like the old days where we went in and we just we practiced a bunch for like over a year, just playing the songs over and over like every week, just bashing them out, and then uh, getting in the studio and just hitting and go and like getting our buddy Casey to come produce it and just being able to slam it out in like a couple weeks was just really fun. So you guys did a Kickstarter campaign uh, in early 2018 to do the self-titled record. Was there any weird thoughts about that? I mean, is it, it's the first time you guys have done a crowdfunding thing. Everybody's doing it, but like, how how did that all come about, and how did you guys agree for that to be the the way that you did it? It just made the most sense for us, you know, where we were at as a band, like just to 
go ahead and say, you know what, let's just uh, we got we got some real kick ass fans that have been sticking by us for years. Let's let's see what happens with this thing. And it went great, and you know we smashed any sort of goal we could have had for it, and uh, it just it just made a whole lot of sense. And we got to do a lot of fun things with it too. Like we had a house party where everyone came over and listened to the record, and we played it live for him. We had a like a bonfire barbecue thing where we grilled up a bunch of food and played acoustic around a campfire and we did a lot of really fun things involved with it. It was just, it just to me it was like a real great uh bunch of moments that we got to have that we may not have if we didn't decide to do a Kickstarter. And I remember you guys performed it live on Facebook, like the date of the release. I just thought that all of the promo stuff you guys did was very unique and and, and really cool. Thanks. Yeah, it was fun. And so, I mean, the response to the record's been amazing. I mean, it hasn't. I've seen so many people posting stuff, and and I mean, Mike posts stuff nonstop on Facebook. But right. uh, I mean, what did it feel any different than any other release? Because you guys kind of had all the control, and your fans were such a huge part of it, or was it just kind of like another record? Uh, it felt different in that, like, it felt like we came back to our roots, and it was like, it was like a record we could have put out like a decade ago, you know, uh, it just, it just felt like we were like truly us and like, yeah, the control and all that is great and all that, but it was the fact that it was the four of us sitting in a room, just bashing the songs out, like I said, for over a year, sometimes on some of them. And some of them came together in the studio. Like, Hey, Mike's like, Mike always does this. When we get in the studio, he'll get all inspired and write a couple songs while we're in there. Like he'll just disappear. Like, where's Mike? Oh, he's downstairs. You know, bashed on the guitar real quick you know <laughs> so it was it was definitely it was definitely just a fun time like the camaraderie of like everyone being in the studio together you know just going for it how did the uh the atari's cover come together because it seemed like it came out of nowhere it kind of did mike just uh thought it'd be cool and you know hit us all up to come over to the studio and knock it out in case he was in town so it worked out perfect to record it and it just it was like one afternoon we just banged it all out after work one day and it, people loved it. And it was, it was fun. It was fun to do. Cause at first I was like, why are we covering the Ataris? Mike's like, Oh, it's just a cool song. It's got a lot of history for me and my wife. And we're like, Oh, cool. Let's do it. Yeah. I talked to like the day it came out, I got a hold of Chris Rowe and I was like, man, I kind of like it better than the Ataris version. He goes, I kind of do oh, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did I thought that was great, man. So, uh, but I think that's so cool that, you know, not being on a label and not having all these weird, like, you know how there's contractual stuff where you can't do this, you can't do that. You guys can do whatever you want. I think that's so, that's so refreshing and great that you guys have been around as long as you have. And now you're completely in control and you, you can do an Atari's cover if you want in a day. Yep. We just do whatever. We just literally just whatever we think is cool. We just go ahead and do it. So if if you could cover anything coming up just on a whim, is there any certain cover you'd like to do? Oh yeah, I, th- I throw them out every once in a while. I practice sometimes, and you know, I get weird looks sometimes for some of them, and sometimes some other ones. Uh, yeah, I don't really want to say it in case we end up doing them. Okay, and like <laughs> maybe someone maybe someone snakes it from me. <laughs> okay, well we'll we'll just leave it at that. I'm sure they're really cool, and we'll know if you do it in the yeah. future. <laughs> Okay, yeah. so I've got some listener questions, if you wouldn't mind a- answering those. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so uh, Eric from Arizona wanted to know why you guys decided to add a second guitarist. Uh, we've had people playing second guitar with us for years, whether it was our buddy Neil who toured us, he'd come out and play on like a handful of songs during the show. We just felt like we needed a second guitar. To Our buddy Seth from uh, Watashiwa and 
he just he just came up to us just to record or just to play guitar and uh it just kind of became a thing where we just always liked having a second guitar up there and uh we had our buddy jack from uh played and tumble down with mike play with us for a few years and uh it just came to a point where mike knew chris uh atkins who plays with us now and thought he really made a lot of sense for us and you know talked to jack and talked to chris and you know i actually had been gone in japan working uh for the shipyard and i came home and the day before we had practice mike's like hey i really need to talk to you before practice i'm like oh okay what's up i'm like god am i getting kicked out of the band what's going on right <laughs> it was all serious he's like so i had to talk with jack he's not going to play with us anymore and i got this new guy named chris i was like oh wow that's news okay whatever i'm, I'm game you know i'm still playing my guitar so uh showed up for the first practice with chris and he kind of walked in and i think he felt like it was the first day of school where he had just transferred to new school where everyone knew each other kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, he fit right in and he did a great job. I mean, he played the kind of music that we do already anyways in his band. So just, he slid right in and he's been an amazing fit and he's, just, he's one of my best friends out there now too. So it's great. Could you elaborate a little bit more on what your day job is? I know that you, you uh, do stuff with ships. Like you said, the shipyard. Yeah. So I work at a Navy shipyard. So does Yuri and uh, I'm a mechanic basically I go to the boat wrench on things, but then, over the years, I worked my way through it from being just a wrench down on the deck plates to supervising work. Now I'm now I'm in like I'm a total middle manager. I wear a button-up shirt to work, and like you know, I mean, we're talking untucked, like you know, like Volcom button-ups. We're not we're not uh, a <laughs> we're not we're not Brooks Brothers here. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I go to meetings and just try to figure out ways to do things better, and you know, managing the work and all that. I remember on Instagram seeing all your pictures from Japan. How long were you over there? And did you get to like see some cool stuff or was it all about work? Uh, I've been over there a lot for work, actually. I've probably lived over there a cumulative year since I've been uh, doing the shipyard thing. But uh, this last time I was there for two months and it was actually the least amount of work I've ever had over there. So yeah, I did a lot of exploring, just getting on the trains and going. The trains in Japan are just incredible. I don't know if you ever experienced yeah. them, but... And, and that's got to be nice because you know, as well as I do, when you're on tour, you don't normally have a lot of extra time to go sightseeing and see things, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I got, I got to go see a lot and do a lot of fun things and just get on, you know, online and find out what crazy thing is happening in Tokyo this week, you know, and just hop on the train and go. That's awesome, man. So, yeah. uh, okay. So my next, uh, Matt from Indiana. He wanted to let you know as well. He he was at the same show in '96 in Marion, Indiana, with Blenderhead. But he said, "How will Mike moving to Texas affect the band?" Uh, not really, honestly. I mean, it's just it's not like we practice every day right now, anyway. So him being down there, he comes back before shows, and we practice, and it doesn't. I mean, if anything, it just makes his commute to work a little harder. Yeah. <laughs> was, yeah. was it was it weird seeing him on TV? It was weird for me. <laughs> Now, I mean, I've been I've been seeing him and us on TV for years, so yeah. it honestly wasn't weird at all. The weird thing to me was I really didn't know that show existed. Okay, and like we were we were working out one night together, and he's like, "Hey, so you know, I I might be getting on this TV show called Fixer Up." I'm like, "Oh, what's that?" He's like, "Oh, it's like a home improvement show on whatever channel. It's actually a really big one." I'm like, "Oh, cool, never heard of it. That's rad, you know." And that that was just kind of the end of it. And like then he ended up doing it and. You know, he said he was having fun. I'm like, oh, that's right. Good job. You know, cool. Sounds fun. And then uh, when it came out, I didn't realize how big that show was. I had random people at the shipyard <laughs> stop me like, hey, I saw your singer on Fixer Upper. I'm like, you watch that show? And they're like, yeah, everyone does. I was like, oh, 
Weird. And okay. it, it was the series finale as well. It was the very last yeah. one. So like, yeah. Did you guys notice any kind of uptick in, you know, any like streams or anything like from people that maybe saw that and then check the band out? Oh, I'm the worst person to ask that kind of question. You have to ask Mike or your manager, right, Tom? Yeah, yeah, I'm the worst person to ask that kind of question. (laughs) Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to get Mike and Tom both on as well, so I'll save that question for them. There you go. Okay, so I've got one more listener question. I'm going to let you get out of here really quickly after that. Um, The last listener question is from Russ in Georgia. He wanted me to let you know that he has been a fan since the mid '90s. He wants to know what your favorite band to tour with was and why. Jeez. I mean, there's so many. I mean, back in the old days, we toured with uh, like the Stage Seeker guys a couple times, and they were super good buds of ours, and just always a really, really fun hang. Um, we were talking about Joe Sib earlier, having 22 Jacks on tours, like having your own personal comedian just come on tour with you. <laughs> yeah. And Joe was always a blast. Um, you know, further down the road, like Less Than Jake, we toured with them oh, so many times. I mean, I just, shared had, buses. I, just did a, I just did an interview with, with Vinny a couple days ago, actually. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So those guys were great. I mean, we caravaned around Australia in a couple little camper vans together and just, it was, that was a warp tour. And it was the fun part about that was like, we'd get done playing and be like, Hey, let's go to the beach. And we just all roll down to the beach together. And it was great times with those guys. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, they're just super fun, you know, down to earth, like, you know, just great time guys. Like we went and hung out with them when they were recording and, Malibu and we were down recording in LA and we'd go out like after after we're done for the day and we'd go kick it with them over at their studio and it was the Morning View house, which is kind of a like a famous studio out there. Uh and we just it was like a beautiful mansion, like kind of right in Malibu up the hill from the coast. And it was it was always a really good time kicking with those guys. That's cool, man. Well, yeah. uh what do you guys have coming up in the future uh for MXPX or just you you in general? more shows man more shows i know you guys have new york coming up soon right yeah we have a montebello rock fest uh june 14th and then uh new york city june 15th that's our next one's coming up but more in the pipeline we get a lot of uh people online asking us to play shows and all that and it's kind of it's kind of become almost like a a joke where like someone will post something about uh oh and mxpx need to play more shows and i'll tag our manager in it just to mess (laughs) with them yeah because I, I know we have things, I know we have things like, you know, coming up and you know online and like getting ready to go that aren't announced yet. So yeah, I always I always chuckle when I see those and I send it to him like, hey, the natives are restless. You better get something going. <laughs> I know that you guys. Uh, I think last year you guys went and did that festival in Indonesia. I always think it's funny, like uh, every Atari's post, like back in the day, all the way through now, or any band's page that I go to, and they say something about a tour. There's always two or three people from Indonesia. They're like, "You're gonna come to Indonesia." <laughs> Dude, they're they're crazy for it down there. It was that show was incredible. I mean, the pictures looked insane, man. Yeah, we only played there twice, but uh, the two times I've been down there with it, it's just been incredible shows, and they're they're just so stoked. It's one of those things like uh, South America was the first few times we went down there. They're just so excited you even came. Oh yeah, they're just they're just like I can't believe you're even here. This is amazing. I mean, I, I talk about it all the time on the show, but we went to South Africa back in 2009 and we had to do like a press conference when we got there because people didn't believe we were actually there. Funny. <laughs> it's really kind of weird. Okay, man. Well, uh, what are your socials so people can check you out? Yours, uh, if you want people to check yours out and the bands. Yeah. Uh, Twitter and Instagram are the only ones I really got. And it's just at Tom Wisniewski. Okay. So my last name is a murder to spell. So go ahead and Google that one. <laughs> cool. And then the uh, yeah. MXPX, uh, what's their stuff? 
Yeah, it's just all just at MXPX. And then I think on uh, Instagram, I'd be at PXPX. Yeah, yeah. Or okay. at MXPXPX. But I mean, you start typing MXPX and it's going to pop up. Cool. Well, hey, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. And, uh, you know, all the luck in the world in the future. And I can't wait to, to hear the next record. And then the record after that, I, don't, I think you guys have a lot of years left. You and me both, man. I'm excited <laughs> to do more. Okay, I'll talk to you later, man. Have a great night. Hey, you, man. So there it was, my conversation with Tom from MXPX. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I had a great time talking to Tom, and hopefully we'll have him back on the show in the future. Also going to try to get uh, Mr. Mike Herrera and, you know, maybe Yuri. Yuri doesn't ever do a lot of a lot of podcasts or interviews. Maybe I can get Yuri on the show. But uh, thank you guys once again for coming back week in and week out. I really appreciate it. Uh, I am going to be taking next week off, though. I'm going to be Mr. Single Dad next week because my wife's going on a little trip. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to have time to do the podcast because I'm I'm going to be taking care of my kitties. So uh, once again, thank you guys so much for the support. If you want to support the show even more, there's many ways that you can do it. Probably the easiest way to support the show is go to uh, you know your Apple Podcast app or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you can. Make sure to subscribe to the show. And make sure to rate and review the show. Leave us some nice words. It literally takes a couple seconds. And it really helps the show grow and helps us gain visibility. Because if people are going to be looking and go, that looks like a cool show. And then, like, you know, they read your awesome review, they'll probably check the show out. So that's the easiest way to support the show. If you want to get involved in kind of a financial way, which is not not a lot. It's basically a cup of coffee. You can jump on the Patreon train. You can become a patron. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast, or you can go to TOTOTpodcast.com and click on the little link. And basically for $5 a month, you can become a patron and it helps us in quality and content for the show. And you get access to bonus episodes, and all kinds of cool stuff. You get to join a community of like-minded people. And uh, I'm throwing different stuff up there once in a while for the patrons. And uh, it'll it'll be cool. So if you want to jump on the Patreon train and help us out a little bit, that would be great. If not, keep listening, keep enjoying. Just tell a friend about the podcast so they can check it out. So I am going to get out of here. I, uh, I'll see you guys in two weeks um, with... Mr. Mark O'Connell from Taking Back Sunday. He's the next guest on the show. And uh, I've got some great guests coming up. I am booking right now, booking the summer out, and I've got a lot of really cool interviews lined up. So I will see you guys in two weeks. Sorry, I'm I'm just, I'm not feeling great. And I want to get this done so I can go to sleep. But uh, I'm going to leave you with a couple songs by MXPX. They they recently, we talked about it on the conversation, they recently covered an Atari song, which Mike's wife, Holly, I guess it's like her favorite song or whatever. So that's pretty cool. It's called San Dimas High School Football Rules. And uh, they did a really good version of it. And it's really cool uh, in the in the song, Mike changes the lyrics to, I'd even have Chris Rowe dedicate a song to you. So I just remember I woke up and like, wow, MXPX covered the Ataris. That's awesome. And I don't know. I almost like it better than the Atari's version, but uh, no, no offense, Chris. I'm just, I like both versions, but I'm going to play that. And I'm also going to play a song from MXPX's new 
record or newest record, their most recent record. It's, uh, it's called Rolling Strong. It's really, really cool, man. I mean, if you were an MXPX fan back in the day and you've kind of slept on them for a while, you need to get back into them because they are kicking out some great stuff, man. Their new record is just killer. So I'm going to leave you with Rolling Strong first. I'm going to play their, you know, song off their newest record first. And I'm going to leave you with their cover of the Atari's San Dimas. So thank you guys. And I will see you in two weeks. So don't freak out if there's not an episode next week. I will be back. I swear I'm taking a little, a little summer hiatus for one week and then I'll be back. But I love you all and I appreciate the support and hit me up on the Instagrams and the Twitters and everything at TOTOT podcast. And, uh, I'll see you soon. Chris out. Like I'm stuck in
something that we probably never be Today you called me up and said you'd see me at our show Now I'm stuck debating if I even wanna go Holly, don't you understand that what I say is true? I just want you to know that I'm so in love with you I drive you to Las Vegas to the things you wanna do I even have Chris Rhodes dedicate a song to you I only wish that this could be Just up your boyfriend and go out with me I swear I'd treat you like a queen Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform.